towards goal. What more can you say? Oh, there's a pig on the ground. <laughs> there is a pig at full forward. Out and out and back he comes. Can he finish it off with a goal? Okay, today's guest is a broadcasting legend. This man has done it all in the sports media landscape through radio, television, news, and commentary. He entertained us through shows like World of Sport, brought big moments into our home such as the Olympics and AFL Grand Finals, and his friendly face and warm words made sure we enjoyed and consumed sports like never before. Perfection, excellence, and class are synonymous with his work. Bruce McAvaney described him as unflappable. Eddie Maguire said there was no one better. And for me, oh my hat, what more can can you say, <laughs> Mr. Sandy Roberts? What a pleasure it is to have you on the gym session. Welcome. Nice to be with you, Jane. Nice to be with you. Uh, it's been a couple of years now since we've seen you on our screen, Sandy. What's life like for Sandy Roberts these days? Well, I'm enjoying retirement. I've got to say, I eased out. I was busy doing television and radio. Then I left television to just concentrate a little on radio for a few years and taking the slow process out. And now I've, uh, I'm, I'm a retiree uh, and enjoying it very much. There's lots to do, and uh, despite the COVID, life goes on. That that saying I said earlier, "Oh my hat," that was a trademark of yours, Sandy. Fox Fox would have used it a, lit, a little bit in their promos. Where did that actually come from? That actually came from my father, who would say it um, when he was either frustrated <laughs> or shocked. Yeah. And because I was brought up on a farm, there are lots of things that could happen and go wrong. And uh, it's one that I just uh, vividly remembered and probably accidentally picked up and just ran with throughout my career as well. Yeah, well, that that farm you grew up in, that was in Lucendale, wasn't it? And in, uh, That's in South correct. Australia. Did, yep. did you always want to be a sports broadcaster growing up there? And how did you, how did you get that love for uh, sports and football, I guess? I think initially, James, I was very keen on radio and television and I had visions of, you know, either being a radio announcer or doing variety or entertainment uh, on television when it came along. And so as I went into radio and television, um, initially I went in as a a cadet journalist Mm -hmm. on Radio 6pm in Perth and from there I went into television through BCV8, Bendigo, and then Channel 7 in Adelaide. And when you're working at those stations, you're if you're the general announcer, you're doing basically everything. You know, I mean everything. Um, not just perhaps reading the news or reading the sport. Um, you're doing commercial and commercials. You, you're, you're, you're learning the craft, and it's a, a really great way to learn, you know. I know nowadays you've basically got to get a degree or go to university for three or four years, but that was learning the hard way, and I think still today it's the best way to learn. Yeah, well, you talk about the hard way. Is it true that you just you literally just walked into the radio station at Perth and asked for a job? That's exactly right, James. I got off the train, yeah. uh, came from Adelaide, going across the Nullarbor, and I walked into the city and I saw this, sign with steps going downstairs yeah. and it was radio 6 p.m. So I thought, oh, I'll go in there. Yeah. And I chatted with the news director, a gentleman by the name of Barry Customs, did an audition and uh, he said, when can you start? And so I, I said the next day and I did. 
So that's it's just the that was one of those things, James, where it was the absolute luck of the draw. You know, they were they were keen to put someone on, and I just walked through the door at the right time. Yeah, we'll talk about luck. I mean, for luck for us, because you sat next to someone pretty special, didn't you? <laughs> Dennis Cometti was there in the radio station too. Well, yeah, I was uh, in the, in the news booth, and he was, I think, doing afternoons or could have been evenings, uh, early evenings. And uh, he, he was your rocky jockey, um, the disc jockey, Dennis. And, uh, yeah, it's amazing, isn't it, uh, that we sort of crossed paths then and then years later um, we're behind the microphone together. It's extraordinary. Yeah, it is extraordinary. How did, how did you actually end up in Melbourne? You mentioned that you were Channel 7 in Adelaide, but then you moved yep. over to, to Channel 7 in Melbourne. How did that come about? That came about... Uh, I was in Adelaide uh, working uh, as a general announcer and doing sport. I started doing Sandful, South Australian mm-hmm. National Football League yep. footy there and uh, calling with guys like Ian Day, who was a South Adelaide legend, um, Dennis Airy, who played for Port Adelaide. So that was the grounding that sort of I got early on in life. And, and I guess also it, it made the decision for me that, hang on, I don't want to just be a, a general um, entertainer or anything like that. I want to do sport. Mm. So, And that's that's the path I took. And what transpired in 1979 was that um, uh, Channel 7, which in those days, James, wasn't a network as such. Channel 7 Adelaide was like a cousin yeah. of Channel 7 Melbourne and Sydney. So anyway... Seven picked up the rights to the Moscow Olympics and um, it was a pretty tough time because Malcolm Fraser was the Prime Minister. Russia was going to war with Afghanistan and uh, we were given, like the athletes, the Channel 7 broadcast team was given the option of going or not going. Mm -hmm. If we didn't go, it wouldn't be held against us. Anyway, Ron Casey, who was the head of Melbourne, put the list together for those that he wanted to take. And uh, I, along with one other chap, a producer from Adelaide, were invited to go. And, you know, it was the, the greatest shock in my life. Um, so I went over there with the team, and it was while uh, we were over there that Ron Casey and Gary Fenton, who was uh, the executive producer, spoke to me and asked me would I be interested in moving to Melbourne. Well, having had a taste of South Australian footy, <laughs> I couldn't wait to say yes. So that was basically it. After after Moscow, came back and moved to Melbourne. Hey, just quickly, when you went over to, to Moscow in 1980, is it true they sent over just 49, 49 of you to, to broadcast? And yep. now, nowadays, yep. I think there's about 300 they get sent over. Um, was it true that you, you got given the sports the morning of? And so how did you actually prepare for things like archery? Well, that's interesting because uh, you're right. What happened in those days, Ron Casey, who was our boss, yeah. uh, and did a fantastic job, by the way. Um, but he, he would we'd always have a team breakfast in yeah. the morning, about half past seven or something like that, and he would then stand up and he'd run through who's doing what. Yeah. You know, Bill Collins, uh, you're doing kickboxing. Well, Bill was a legendary race caller. Yeah. Uh, so that was a fairly rude shock. And I, I remember that particular morning because he got that yeah. and uh, I got archery. Mm. Um, well, I didn't know a lot about archery. 
I was aware of Robin Hood, but yep. that's about my limitation. So what you had to do, you had no choice but to do a crash course yep. of what given. So you'd go to the International Broadcast Centre and pick up any media information you could. Um, but the other thing in those days too, James, not all of it was always what we presented was not always live. So yeah. um, you might be able to go to the archery, they would record the vision, then you could go back, look at it, and sit down, do a script, and put it together. So uh, yeah, yeah. that made it a little easier, uh, or you, and you could make sure you got your facts right instead of flying blind mm. doing it live. <laughs> but a lot of it was live. And the other thing, uh, because we only took 49, you could get around it by taking certain sports on the world feed which was just fed out to everyone and countries had the option of picking stuff out of that or not. Mm. Hey, Sandy, I wanted you to, uh, I wanted to ask you about world of sport and some of our listeners might not understand just how big it was. It did pave the way for shows like the footy show with that entertainment and fun. Can you explain quickly what that, that, what that was like? This is channel seven Melbourne calling in stations throughout Victoria, South Australia and Southern New South Wales. A big welcome to world of sport. Oh, it was a, a fantastic initiation. You're turning. You talk about um, a learning process, James. Well, if you wanted to learn about television, live television, then the place to be was on the set of World of Sport because you had true vaudevillians like Uncle Doug Elliott, Bill Collins, Ron Casey was the ringmaster. But it wasn't just footy, you know, you'd have the wood chop and you'd have to watch out for the flying chips, you'd have the roller cycling derby, you'd have the lawn bowls and you'd almost go to sleep with the little lilting music. <laughs> uh, it, it was a bit of everything, you know, yeah. racing, trotting, um, live commercials, and Uncle Doug was an absolute terror uh, doing that sort of thing with live commercials. I mean, <laughs> the initiation and I, I copped it in particular because yeah. one, I was a South Australian and an imposter, and uh, two, I took over from Ron. So what you did in those days, when you had to do a commercial or whatever, uh, we didn't have auto cue. We had these huge cue cards, yeah. big like sheets of paper, and uh, the script written in large lettering. And so I'd be going to the commercial area and getting ready to just say do a 30-second car commercial mm. and I'd start and then Uncle Doug would just walk over very casually with a cigarette lighter, light the bottom of the script paper and so what I would have to do is suddenly speed up <laughs> so that I'd beat the flames. I'd yeah. have to go as quickly as I possibly could uh, oh. before it all burned. So that's the sort of initiation yeah. you got there. And it was, look, it was live. And when you've got people like Lou Richards and Jack Dyer, yeah. uh, it was just made for fun. Like if it was relatively quiet, Ron Casey could just go over to Lou, whisper something in his ear, and he would stir up Jack. Yeah. And then, bang, then the sparks would fly. But that rarely happened because they could just do it on their own. Yeah. It was a fantastic, it was a wonderful school. Mm -hmm. for, you know, a young broadcaster. Yeah, that's brilliant. And you used to have a couple of drinks before the show, was that correct? Well, they had a little um, room off to the side um, and it was run by Ron Carr, an old friend of uh, an acquaintance that Ron Casey knew and I think he just looked after him. Mm -hmm. He was a little man, uh, stick insect, he was tiny. Um, 
and he was the barman. And you'd always find Jack or Lou uh, and Ron in there, either that or upstairs. Now, the, the first day I did, um, I actually took over from Ron uh, as the host. I went into the studio and I was obviously pretty nervous. Yeah. Anyway, about an hour before the show, I, the floor manager came up and said to me, um, Ron wants to see you upstairs in his office. I thought, oh, heck, what now? So up I went, and there is uh, the triumvirate of Ron Casey, Doug Elliott, and Bill Collins, uh, all up there. This is this is ten o'clock in the morning, yeah. <laughs> ha- having a, a glass of scotch. Yeah, and Ron said, "Come in, come in. What would you like to drink?" I said, "I'm fine, thanks. I, I, I don't want any." He said, "What would you like to drink?" So I, I, I can't remember. What I said I might have yeah. said a beer or whatever you're having. Uh, but that was the man. He just wanted to settle me down, mm-hmm. you know, make sure I was happy, everything was all right. And he was he was a, a wonderful mentor. Yeah, Michael. yeah, that's great. My my dad said it was it was absolutely massive. He used to say that um, the local priests used to complain because everyone would run run straight out of church so they wouldn't miss the world of sport on a Sunday. Well, no, we we actually we had a basically a priest. Uh, who we would use if there were illnesses or deaths in sport or whatever. Yeah, and and he he often told Lou Richards that um, once once World of Sports started at eleven o'clock on a Sunday morning, yeah. uh, the flock just disappeared. <laughs> uh, you know, the numbers dropped in the church because yeah. everyone was home. What better to have? world of sport and a Sunday roast. That's right. Hey, Sandy, people have asked you before uh, your favourites, and it's hard for you to pick a favourite uh, moment or a favourite game you called, but you always remember your first. Your first grand final yep. was 1990. What was your memory yes. of that? Uh, probably Terry Danaher and Gavin Brown. Mm. Um, Terry was a wonderful player, um, and he, he wasn't a dirty player at all. But on that particular day, he, something, someone pressed a wrong button on him, and well, he knocked Gavin Brown out. Now, in those days, there was no. This was before half time. In those days, there was no uh, concussion rule or anything like that. So Brown, to his credit, came back on the ground in the second half, and and in many ways inspired Collingwood because Essendon went in the game as a warm favourite. Mm-hmm. Um, and, well, what did Collingwood do? They kept Essendon to five goals in a grand final. So, uh, And because it's your first one, I mean, you've, you've never done it before. So it's just, it's a bit like the, the Moscow Olympic Games, I'd probably think more about than any other games that I've done. It was my first one. Yeah. Um, it's just a great memory. I mean, I've been lucky enough to do some very good grand finals. Mm-hmm. Um, but the, the first one does does stick with you there's no doubt about that and i'm not a collingwood supporter I, yeah. by the way yeah no you do you support st kilda i believe and i was gonna i was gonna ask you that is that was that important to you that not a lot of people knew who you barracked for well i made a conscious effort james um to not yeah um and, and to be perfectly honest um I, I didn't cover st kilda a lot of you know i might have done a i probably did 50 or 60 games over the, my career but mm-hmm. um, I did make a conscious effort uh, and I wasn't I wasn't an absolutely passionate supporter I was brought up on St Kilda yep. because where I lived on the farm at Lucendale 
We had no television. We only had radio. And the radio we had, because we were virtually on the border of Victoria and South Australia, was Victorian radio. And that's where I first heard of guys like Carl Bitterich and Brian Minot and Ross Smith and all these wonderful, Ian Stewart, all these wonderful players mm. from St Kilda. And because my father barracked for them, I would listen to it at the same time. And I guess I, I just sort of hung on to it as my career unfolded. Mm. You've, you've had a, a lot of famous calls now, you know, 1989, obviously, Gary, that Gary Ablett goal, the Billy Brownless, you're the king of Geelong, the most important kick of his career, Tony Lockett. Do you have a favourite moment? that you called? Is, is there one that's memorable that stands above all else? We'll be back after a quick break. Again, gee, it's a good question, James. Um, again, I, I think the, the Gary Ablett goal because uh, I, I took a punt yeah. that it was, he was going to get it, and I just simply said before the goal, the ball had gone through. What more can you say? And fortunately for me, it was a goal. Now I would have looked fairly stupid if it had missed and been a behind. Take the mark. Oh, he's a light, Gary Ablett. Look at this. Here is the magician at work. He shoots towards goal. What more can you say? And then the other one was, I don't know whether you remember, but in 1990, the guy who finished up with the ball was Darren Mullane. Yeah, yeah and he broke his On thumb. a half-back flank yeah. with a broken thumb. Yeah. And, I, and he hadn't won uh, a grand final since 1958. And I think I said, finally, the drought is broken. From the back pocket, this will be probably the last kick. He need not even kick. The drought is over. 32 years. Um, you sort of remember things like that, but, you know, um, I'm not one of these people that sort of writes down a whole lot of things and has to remember to say them if it comes out of my mouth then it's just natural, you know. You, yeah. You call it how you feel it. And, um, yeah. But there are a lot of a lot of good things. One I remember, James, and I, I don't know why I remember it, but um, I also did a lot of golf over many years. And, mm-hmm. you know, these, uh, golf was huge. And, well, we had um, probably we, – we would cover the New South Wales Open, for example, the Victorian Open. Australian Open, Australian Masters, Johnny Walker Classic. Mm. And then we had skins games. We had test matches. Well, we had a, a test match was between England and Australia, obviously. Greg Norman had captain Australia. Nick Faldo had captain England. Well, I mean, we were able to draw the, all these big names out here. Yeah. And in skins mm. games, 
we brought out a gentleman by the, a gentleman by the name of Gary Player, Jack Nicholas, and Arnold Palmer. Uh, there's no no bigger names, uh, really, in the history of golf. And I always remember Jack Nicholas had a bit of a habit of talking to himself during a skins game, and he had a putter about 15 feet. Uh, the ninth hole because you'd stop after nine, go in to have lunch and a break, and then come back. And he was sitting, they were mic'd up, and he was sit, he was just sitting over the ball, ready to putt. And he said, "Come on now, Jackson, make this, and we'll have a really nice lunch." And you guessed it, he put it straight in the cup. So. <laughs> Yeah, just little things like that. Yeah, it's nice to remember. Yeah, that's great. And from you, like you said, it was all—it wasn't nothing was scripted, so it just came to your mind. Because no. a lot of commentators do prepare things like their, you know, different lines they're going to say and that sort of thing. But you—it just came natural. How did that come about? Yeah. Did, you, did you realize you had a gift from early on? Well, I, I think no. The other thing I thought—I mean, you, if you if you write it down, you are so conscious. Oh, look, I've got to try and get this line in and. And that's fraught with danger because, you know, it, it may not work. Sometimes it's fantastic, but no, it's a bit like um, race cores and with a Melbourne Cup. Um, most of them, and uh, Bill Collins, you know, who was a wonderful, wonderful caller, known as the accurate one, but he he never scripted anything. And you know what the man calls over thirty Melbourne Cups, um, so. Yeah, I, I, I just think the natural, and I think it doesn't sound for for the person sitting at home, it doesn't sound as if you've set it up. It sounds, yeah. it sounds more like it's come from your heart. You know, you obviously love the sport, whether it's racing or football or, or tennis, and, and that passion tells in the way you call mm-hmm. yeah. instead of reading something. Yeah. Can you tell me about the the day there was a pig at full forward? Do <laughs> uh, you want me to tell you, or do you want Tony Lockett to tell you? <laughs> well, I actually know the story, yeah. Um, because uh, the guy rang me a couple of years later, mm. and he was a Victorian who was making a con. He told his friends, "I'm going to go to Sydney, and I'm going to." let a pig out onto the ground and they thought, well, you're just stupid. That, that won't happen. Anyway, he packed his bags, got on the train, went to Sydney, then looked up in the yellow pages for piggeries close to Sydney, yeah. uh, bought himself a Hessian bag and went out to this piggery, bought the pig, not a huge pig, bought a back, wrote the plugger with a red texter on his back and put the number four on him. He felt plugger wrongly, by the way. <laughs> um, and then the the next thing was getting, and this is what people would wonder, how did yeah, he get it into the ground? Exactly. At the, there is a small underground entrance. You go down these steps, and if you kept on walking, you would get out onto the ground. It was for the players and the media, and there was a lift there so the media could just go straight up the players, of course, could just go straight to the dressing rooms, but it was it was at ground level, mm. um, and so he, to his credit, got through that. Because you you know you have someone on the door, but I don't know how, but he got through, <laughs> and uh, went and sat in the front or second front row, yeah. and 
uh, as we know, at one stage, opened the bag and out came the pig. Well, Dennis was calling at the time and so I was just looking around the field and the ball was basically up the other end. And um, I, I just, again, it was just natural. I just suddenly virtually interrupted Dennis and I said, there's a pig at full forward. And <laughs> Dean got the shock of his life and then we had to catch it. Well, that's a trivia question in itself and Darren Holmes was the one that uh, caught the pig and pushed it back over the fence. But, yeah, the guy wasn't charged. He, he didn't receive anything. He's just a practical joker. But um, you know, I, I know that Tony wasn't impressed by it for a number mm. of years, but he's mellowed as time has gone by. Yeah, that's good. Can laugh about it now. <laughs> yeah. Well, what an effort, though, to actually get the pig there. That That is yeah. incredible. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> And he was a man on a mission. That's it. And speaking about laughing <laughs> about something, and I know you can laugh at yourself sometimes, Sandy, so this is why I'll ask you about it. A lot of people do. I had to ask you about the Leanne Dick story. Now, for oh, those you, who... <laughs> I, I just had this funny feeling you were holding that to last. I was, you? I was, I was. I'm sorry, I've got to yeah, bring it up. No, look, yeah, tell me about it. Tell me about it. James, I just, it was 37 years ago. I'm... People have got to move on. <laughs> but... It was, it, well, it remains one of the classics. Um, uh, well, in a nutshell, uh, the Mount Gambier Cup uh, was conducted every year and I covered it for the local television station and they in turn would send it out to other regional stations like Ballarat, etc. So and one of the features uh, they made of the carnival was to have a guest either a Miss Victoria, Miss South Australia or Miss Australia, whatever. Mm. This year, it was a, this particular year, it was a Miss Australia and her name was Leanne Vick and I was the MC and I was uh, hosting from the um, uh, mounting yard. So it was pretty congested and I had a, the general manager of the station was a gentleman by the, a, friend, a friend I knew well, Tony Phillips. He was, he had a microphone about 15, 20 feet away from me. So in case anything happened to me, because people tread on the wires and leads, or whatever, he could take over. So anyway, I did an interview with Leanne. It's a pre-recorded. And uh, we the program went to her at 12 o'clock, featured two races, a hurdle and the Mount Gambia Cup. So uh, we go to air. They play the recorded interview I did with Leanne, um, which I did down in the mounting yard. And then we get ready, you know, did a few other things and then got ready for the hurdle. Anyway, someone in my earpiece, uh, they tell me, uh, look, they're going to delay the, uh, the hurdle because the horse is throwing a plate. So we went to a break and during the break, the producer again said in my ear, look, find someone to interview um, because they're going to take a while to do this, fix this plate, and uh, just grab someone wherever you can. Have a look around. And I'm looking around, and time's going by. And I said to him, mate, there's no one here uh, of interview status. I said, the only person I can see is Leanne Dick, and I've already interviewed her, and that interview's gone to there. And he said, no, 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 quick, grab her. Stand by, we're coming back in 10 seconds. So I get her over, and they cue me, and I... I just said, welcome back to picturesque Glen Burnie Racecourse, Mount Gambier. Still with me is Miss Australia, Leanne Cox, uh, Dick. 
Well, she turned to stone and I struggled to keep a straight face. With us in uh, Landcock and uh, Land, I should say, and Land, it's going to be very interesting to uh, we come to the stage now, and that is, I guess, fashions on the field, and uh, we're looking at some of the best dressed ladies that we can find here in Mount Gambier. I think what we might do is have a look at one or two of them now, and individually, uh, we'll just see exactly what they were at Landcock. And so, what I did, I looked over towards Tony Phillips, <laughs> who had an earpiece as well, and I thought he. He's a professional. He'll pick it up and take over. Yeah. He was on his knees with tears streaming down his face. <laughs> uh, I had to get out of it myself. But yeah. All is forgiven. She's. I mean, we've been in touch since. She's a lovely lady. Yeah. That, and she can laugh. Yeah, that's so. good. She got you back too, didn't she? She called you Randy for your 60th. Yeah, yeah, she did. <laughs> she did. Yeah, so we're even now. That's it. It's funny what her last name is now as well. It's uh, Cockerel. Cockerel. There you go. So I wasn't that far off. You weren't far I? off. <laughs> Perfect, Sandy. <laughs> hey, with all my guests, I like to uh, do 10 quick questions to end off. So the first thing that comes to your mind, Sandy, we can do yep. that? Okay. Good. All right. Yep. What's your favourite food? Oh, Favourite movie? Shawshank Redemption. Mm. Your favourite current commentator? Uh... James Brayshaw. Oh, nice one. Nat na natural. Yeah, natural, brilliant. Your favourite player of all time? Gary Abbott Senior. Mm, had a feeling you'd say that. The best athlete you've ever interviewed? Jack Nicholas. Who was the hardest person to interview? Oh. Oh. Now, <laughs> there was one. That's when I came out of here as a skinballer. I just come over here, yeah, uh, to Melbourne, and uh, Peter Landy sent me out to interview this guy who was been recalled into the test team, mm -hmm. and every answer he gave me was no, yes, no, yes. So he gave me nothing, nothing. and I thought, well, is this how tough it is over here in Melbourne? But. Uh, well, that's fair he, enough. You can't remember his name, then. That's fair enough. To be yeah. <laughs> <laughs> oh, I should. Though. I should. He was, oh. now, you know what, Sandy? I reckon you remember his name, but just to get him back, you're not going to say it. Exactly right. Yeah, yeah he's got to learn. He's, he's got to learn. That's right. Next uh, question. Uh, you're a big fan of the Rolling Stones. If you could have dinner with yes. Keith, Mick, Charlie, or Ronnie, who would it be? Keith. Keith. Yeah. Done a marvellous job to stay alive. <laughs> he has. He has. He's still <laughs> kicking on. Not the healthiest bloke yeah. in the world, but yeah. Um, what's your favourite song? Jimmy Shelter. Yes, good one. No, uh, your favourite football program to watch at the moment? Front bar. The front bar, yes, that is that is quality. Last yeah. one, Sandy. The important one. Who will win the 2021 Premiership? I was thinking about this this morning. Melbourne, Brisbane, or Geelong. Uh, if the best of those three play their absolute best, it might be Geelong. Geelong. All right, Sandy Roberts says Geelong. That is brilliant. Hey, Sandy, you've always been an idol of mine, someone I've respected and admired all of my days of watching footy. So thank you so much for coming on to have a chat, mate. I really, really appreciate it. Pleasure, James. Good to chat with you. Thank you. And I'll remember that... Uh, Jim Higgs. Jim Higgs. Jim Higgs. There you go. You got him. The spin bowler came to you. Gave me nothing. <laughs>
<laughs> oh, great. Well, uh, you, you eventually remembered that, and I'll never forget yeah. this, Sandy. So thank you so much, mate, for coming on. Good on you, James. All the best. <laughs>